In the past few years, we've heard the term free agents and been told we would all need to become one in order to succeed. The recent economic structures have helped to promote this concept as reality. Where do we get the tools to take control of our career path in the present and future? Welcome to The Career Confidant with your host, Marie Zimanoff. Marie and her guest experts are here to provide you with the tools you need to move forward and achieve your career goals. Now, here is Marie Zimanoff. Welcome to the Career Confidant Radio. This is your host, Marie Zimanoff, and we're excited that you're here to join us for another tool and resource that you need to take control of your own career. Today, we have Carly Ackley with us, and Carly is a consultant at Johns Hopkins University in their business school. And Carly, we just went through this class together about capacity and coaching people to build their capacity, and it's been so fun to get to know you and and thank you for joining me here on the show. Yeah, thank you. It has been an absolute pleasure getting to know you and going through the class. One of the topics that we talked about in class that, um, you know, I really wasn't that aware of. It's probably not that new, but just something that we don't talk about that much in the careers field, but really important for people who are in leadership and management, this idea of psychological safety. So tell us a little bit about what psychological safety is. Yeah, um, thanks, Marie. To your point, I felt the same way. Um, I felt like psychological safety had had always been out there, but I didn't know anything about it. Um, Once I started reading about it and learning about it, um, I found it so applicable to my own work and so just sort of dove in um, and really wanted to learn more. So um, to answer your question, psychological safety has been defined in a number of ways by experts who are who are not me. I'm just a mere student. Um, but it really comes down to creating a space and allowing someone the freedom to speak freely with their opinions and observations without running the risk of being punished or embarrassed for doing so. Um, you know, it's giving someone the, the space to speak up with something that, that comes up. Um, Amy Edmondson, uh, who we spoke about and who you can find on the um, TEDx site, is really the standout expert on psychological safety. Um, She defines it as a belief that one will not be punished or humiliated for speaking up with ideas, questions, concerns, or mistakes. Um, In my own learning on the topic, what I found was that psychological safety um, is only present where there's trust. The two go hand in hand. Um, you can't have one without the other. So it takes time to build trust um, as it does an environment for psychological safety. But once trust is established, um, psychological safety can be built. So it's this idea that at work, since that's kind of the context we're talking about it, it's this idea that when I'm at work, I'm not going to be ridiculed, made fun of, um, of course not fired, but it's not just about losing our job, right? It's since it's psychological safety, it's a lot about how do we feel safe from psychological punitive measures, if you will, not just from losing our job. And, and this has so much implications um, for managers to really be able to to do this. So what does the practice of psychological safety look like or how does a manager do psychological safety? 
Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, and to your point, uh, when we when we're talking when I'm talking about psychological safety, I am talking about um, professionally, organizationally, um, building psychological safety within a team, um, and how to do that and what that might look like. Um, so, if you were looking at or viewing a team where psychological safety has been established, I think you'd see a few things. You would see individuals who are communicating openly with each other. You would see uh, individuals, employees asking each other questions, being able to ask questions of the manager without the fear of um, not being punished, not being fired, but sort of being ridiculed that those ideas have a, have a safe place to go. Um, offering up new ideas, innovation, team members, employees who are able to provide feedback on the status quo. Um, and then an important piece of this is, um, you know, really raising awareness of mistakes um, that might come up so that they don't escalate or places where the team could be um, more effective. When I was learning about psychological safety, the thought that kept popping into my mind was the work of Brene Brown, which I'm sure everyone's familiar with, and vulnerability. Um, a psychologically safe space is a place where everyone's sort of open, open to being vulnerable, open to change, open to adapt, to make adjustments, where things are evolving and, uh, and perfection is really, you know, understood as a myth. It's a place where team members can work together toward achievement and, and growth um, and, you know, with their manager, but in a safe place where mistakes are seen as sort of lessons and adjust, adjustments to those mistakes are seen as, as growth toward uh, progress or innovation. Yeah, and this is important because it sounds like this kind of wooey-wooey, touchy-feely thing, but when it comes right down to it, it's about can your team innovate? Can they manage change? Can they do things differently? And those are all concepts that people are talking about nonstop right now, especially, you know, new decade and how are we going to thrive in the new decade, et cetera. Well, a company and a leader can't do that if people put their head down and do the same work over and over again versus being open to doing things differently. And if we don't feel safe, we can't do things differently. Exactly. And then, um, yeah. yeah. And, I, yeah, and I think it's seeing um, people as, people as, as human, um, um, you know, and, and sort of not perfect beings that have to get everything exact and right all the time, um, but really viewing people as sort of imperfect humans and um, working together and creating a space for, uh, for growth um, amongst that imperfection. Yeah, and we had talked about in class, um, and I think that there was some extra resources around the benefits of this. You know, I kind of just talked about a few of them very generally, but what other benefits are there of establishing the psychological safety? Yeah, the benefits of um, establishing psychological safety are enormous. Um, it really means or allows a team to sort of take their productivity, their work to the next level. Um, you know, if a psychologically safe space is created, team members are 
invited to come up with new ideas. It's, um, you know, new ideas toward innovation. There's new learning taking place. Um, the growth for the individual on the team, on the team and the team, um, is huge. Additionally, um, another piece of this is that, you know, observations of mistakes or issues can be addressed, um, or brought to light immediately without fear or punishment. So, um, something that someone sees, um, that could be done differently or more efficiently or more effectively is brought to light, is dealt with. Um, if a mistake is made, it doesn't escalate, it doesn't fester. It's dealt with immediately and you just sort of move along. Um, so that's, I think, one of the biggest benefits to it. Um, you know, the drawbacks, the other side of it, um, are just sort of the opposite. It's a status quo, lack of innovation, uh, lack of growth and new learning. It's... Um, Again, if there's a problem or an issue that comes up, if that fear of punishment um, or embarrassment is there, someone might hide that um, so it can fester and, and get worse. So, uh, yeah, to your question, the benefits of creating this space are, are enormous. Yeah, and if you are thinking about it as a leader, there's this idea that um, – you know, it's not good to be empathetic or that you're enabling people if you're being empathetic. And this research really flies in the face of that, right? It says that if you are a leader who doesn't create this space for people, then you're going to struggle and your 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 organization is going to struggle, especially as the pace of change continues to increase. And I find that interesting. Now, I don't know. Um, so you mentioned Amy Cuddy. And if people haven't watched her talk, she does the power pose, the kind of physical pieces of making yourself feel more powerful, which is somewhat related to psychological safety. It's not um, it's not the direct linked topic. But when we get into an area like this and we're thinking about psych- psychology, there's always layers to it. And we're peeling around the onion and Brene Brown talks, talks about that vulnerability. And it can be easy to shut it down and think, oh, I don't need to worry about that. Or maybe even worrying about that is, is going to hurt me. People are don't want to see me be vulnerable. And so there's a lot of, um, I guess, maybe courage that it takes for people to start to use this in their workplace. And um, have you seen any difference? Have you started to try to use any of this in your workplace or maybe just had some experiences where you're seeing people in your workplace either create this or not create it? How does this play out in a real workplace? Yeah, it's, it's such a good question. I, um, I can I can really see it um, from from where I'm at now with the manager that I'm working with versus um, a manager that I've worked with in the past. So it's the tale of two managers, and one there was uh, in one of the cases there was um, a lot of oversight, um, sort of a, a negative or, or toxic feedback there, um, and it, it it was almost a scary place to be. Um, we were doing the same processes, the same things year after year because there was sort of that 
fear if we brought something up, how was it going to be um, handled? Was somebody open to it? You know, where, where could this go? And so the, um, the new, the opportunity to sort of raise awareness around things that were happening, um, affecting the status quo, they just weren't. I mean, it was, it was tough. And so the, the other side of that is another supervisor that I had that, you know, when I was learning about psychological safety, they could have put this manager's face in the definition of it. Um, she really was um, completely open to um, new ideas, thoughts on the processes. It was all, it's always a journey. Um, the process is always evolving. We were growing as a team. Uh, it was very easy to communicate with her. And because of that, um, we saw enormous growth in a very short amount of time. Um, in a matter of, you know, less than two years, we went from sort of starting this um, individual department uh, to bringing in so many, so many students year over year. And so, um, you know, I, I've seen it in practice. Um, and I think it, which is why this topic resonated with me. And um, I, I, I think it's pretty exciting. Um, going back to your point about sort of the fear um, or a manager's fear about showing compassion and what that means for uh, productivity, I think that, um, yeah, I think that even mostly new managers might fear that, you know, if they are empathetic and they are compassionate, that it, how, you know, how will the team view them? How will it affect productivity? Um, but, you know, a, a University of Michigan study found that, you know, what you were saying that um, participants who recalled a compassionate or empathetic manager, um, they were able to foster more individual and collective resilience in the most challenging times. They were able to be productive when other teams couldn't because they had um, a manager that worked alongside them that they, that they could go to. Um, so the compassion, the compassionate manager actually, it paid off in terms of the productivity that the team was able to produce. Yeah, and I'm excited that some of this research is coming out and showing managers that they are more effective when they're compassionate because that will start to change the tide of perception. And unfortunately, you know, perception is the rule. So you can show me data that says if I'm an empathetic leader, my team will be more productive. But if I feel like my higher ups are going to think less of me because of it, it, you know, there's a hard uh, give and take there. And so the more that we learn about this and the more that research is done, Hopefully we can change the tide to people understanding that really it is this way and perception can can shift as well, which will help females because we all know that the glass ceiling in part is perception of females not being able to be hard when they need to be hard. And perhaps that's been a misconception all along that being hard is as of much as a much value as we thought it was. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I I think the other piece of it is, um, you know, new managers are um, coming in and they have either gone through leadership development training or um, 
they are managing based on the way that they are being managed. And so, you know, it's like a, it's a new generation of, of leadership training. And so if um, incoming managers are being taught that, you know, to create a psychologically safe space and, um, you know, not necessarily the top down, you know, how much work can you do? And um, the, you know, the manager at the top is the, is the end all be all. I think that um, that's going to sort of shift uh, what leadership development and what um, management looks like in our organizations. Yeah, yeah, and it's exciting. So we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to go through some specific things that managers, leaders, and even employees can do to help create psychological safety in their workplace. So we'll take a short break, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. Every day in business, we hear jargon, see writing from so-called experts, and don't know what we should follow and what we should avoid. Now, there's a program to sort everything out. The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman is the program that provides actual best practices, insights, and real-world solutions that help business executives, technology executives, managers, and staff using straightforward talk. Listen live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. You hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security, and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Redis is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at a strategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Welcome back to The Career Confidant. And today we've been talking with Carly Ackley about psychological safety. And the idea being that leaders and teams who feel like they can make mistakes and not be looked down on or ridiculed 
or of course tired, are going to be more innovative and more productive. So Carly, we've talked a little bit about the, the benefits, the pros and cons, and a little bit about some examples of what this looks like in the workplace. But you have some more thoughts for us on specific ways that a leader or manager can create psychological safety. So what are some of the tangible things that people can do? Yeah, so um, when I was when I was learning about the topic, um, it seemed, I, I can't remember the word you used, but it seemed a little touchy-feely to me at first. And I said, okay, so what does this mean for me? What are some practical how-tos? How do I actually start doing this? Um, and so through class, through our class, um, our instructor really put sort of a list together of, um, you know, some things that managers and also coaches can um, start to do in order to create a um, psychologically safe space. Um, and, you know, I have a list of them. I'll, I'll pull out sort of my favorites, and um, if we have time, we'll go into some more. But um, the first one being, you know, as a coach or a manager, it's really, um, and I mentioned this earlier, it's, ready, it's really creating a space to be human. Um, you know, like, like I mentioned with Brene Brown, it's being vulnerable allowing others the space to be vulnerable, um, letting your clients be vulnerable and letting them know that, uh, you know, you're on the same plane and, um, you know, your, your team members can communicate their ideas and observations, observations without the fear or threat of being judged. So it's just sort of being okay with the imperfection, being okay with being human um, and that everyone who is in that space has that same understanding. Um, the second, the second uh, sort of how-to that I want to highlight is um, just sort of noticing um, as a coach or as a uh, as a a manager, noticing something about the team member or the client um, that makes them feel special. It makes them. Uh, realize that you are you are genuine. You care about them, um, and you're compassionate and empathetic to to their needs. It's really just sort of the the human dynamic. So um, making that connection. Uh, another another piece of this, which we've already sort of touched on, is to display compassion. Um, so this goes along with seeing the client client as an individual, as a human, um, and it's meeting them in a place free of judgment. So um, there's no right or wrong, there's no black or white, it's just seeing their expressions or emotions as um, data points for a, for a bigger picture. So, um, you know, and like I mentioned earlier, the University of Michigan study um, about how that compassion leads to increased productivity in trying times within a team. Um, Another one that I want to mention is just creating a learning zone. So this, again, goes along with the idea of um, being imperfect, being human, and seeing um, seeing the seeing life as sort of a journey. Um, there's there's really no right or wrong. We're just sort of constantly evolving, and so um, it's seeing life as a learning opportunity where you know, failure is feedback and mistakes are just opportunities toward growth. Um, 
I was listening to um, to Oprah's podcast, and she said that um, you know seeing life lessons or mistakes as tuition, and it's your investment in uh, in growth development. And so, um, much like college, those mistakes are just tuition dollars. I love that. Um, and the final one I'll mention is just remaining in sort of a, a curious space. So, um, when you are a manager, or where you are when you are a coach. Just sort of wondering about, staying in a space of wonder about um, the potential and aspirations of your team, um, allowing them space to grow, um, creating a space where they can grow personally, professionally, um, and just sort of instead of staying in a place of judgment, remaining in a place of, of curiosity. Yeah, and these, you know, these ideas sound easy, but the problem with it is that it's something that we have to do every day. And really, as a manager, leader, or team member, be able to manage ourselves and especially our reactions when things um, don't go our way or when we don't agree with someone's idea. And that can be a challenge, especially in meetings and how we roll things out can can be a struggle. I know that with myself, I always have to be careful in meetings because I have that natural tendency to critique ideas or say, you know, oh, we could do that and make it even better by doing this and that and the other thing. And we have to be aware of the impacts of those responses, right? It's this daily grind. It's not necessarily, we can't just say, oh, I welcome all ideas, but then every time someone says something, we shoot it down. We have to be careful about those everyday interactions, which is every day being conscious about our reactions. Exactly. Um, Your point is a good one. And it's, you know, practice makes perfect. But, you know, in this case, we're just practicing. Like, I um, want to remain intentional in my interactions and um, do check-ins with myself, but that really only comes with sort of reflection and behavior modification takes time. So um, I think about, you know, how I respond to my children when um, they're constantly asking me for something and, um, you know, instead of, well, my, my, my gut is to sort of be short with them, um, it takes time to change that behavior and how to respond and um, how to modify my behavior. So, no, to your point, this is this is definitely not easy. Um, it takes takes time and, and takes really intentional practice. Well, and although we're talking about this in a work setting, I do find that oftentimes the practice of it is really easy at home (laughs) because like you said we've got things there where we've got a pattern um maybe even with our our significant other or our kids and that pattern's pretty ingrained so if we start looking at those patterns and thinking okay i may think that i'm not doing this at work but since i do it at home it's pretty likely that i do it sometimes at work because i'm it's it's my loop and if we can find those places where where we've got that communication falling apart or where we're not giving people the opportunity to communicate with us um we can pick apart we can pick at those at home and probably have some good crossover into the workplace 
Absolutely. I would love to say that my behavior at work is different than it is at home, but I don't think it, I don't think it necessarily is. So um, <laughs> I think there are similar behaviors there. And, um, you know, it's just finding, for me, it's finding ways to become aware of those behaviors, um, aware of what I want to change or shift, and then um, practice that. And so, you know, if it's um, feedback from a spouse or uh, for me, a lot of times writing it down, journaling, um, that's when things come out for me. It's, it's the awareness phase and then, um, you know, how to make that adjustment. Right. And being aware of those triggers, like you said, your kids can be a trigger when they're constantly asking you for the same thing. We probably have similar triggers at work. Like I was saying, when you're in a meeting um, and people are bringing up new ideas, it's one of the things I've always got to think about, especially when I'm with my board, is there's kind of that knee-jerk reaction to say why we can't do something or whatever. And that's really hurting my psychological safety, right? Because the board's not going to continue to bring up good ideas if I'm constantly shooting them down. So it's up to me to figure out how to change that communication pattern so that people feel safe sharing their sharing their insights. Because if I don't do that, you know, going to get to the point where nobody's telling me anything new and things get stagnant and then it's over, right? We're not changing and advancing and doing things that connect with my audience. It's not going to go very far. Right. Right. I'm, this is making me think of, um, you know, the, the tale of the two managers that I was mentioning, mentioning, I realized that I was a very different person when I was on the first team where the manager, um, had not developed psychological safety. I was the person who, um, you know, critiqued every new idea um, for, you know, a new employee that came in. Oh, we've already done that. It didn't work. Um, I was really in a, a negative space that I thought, you know, was partly my doing, partly that of the, um, of the, the team that I was on. Um, but I realized now being on a, a different team where, um, you know, that psychological safety really is in place. I... I feel, I don't think that I would do that in, in a meeting anymore. I would be more open to new ideas. I'm offering up new ideas um, to sort of continually help the team grow and evolve, even if they aren't an option at this point. Um, whereas I don't think I, I was in, I know I wasn't in that space, um, you know, on, on the other team. Yeah, that's interesting. Even though, it may not be overt and and people obviously aren't teaching emotional intelligence or psychological safety at work by how we interact with each other. And especially if we're the manager or the leader, people are taking that cue as the way that they should interact. And if we're, even as a team member, we can influence that. You don't have to be the manager or the leader. Although if you are, you may have more influence and it may move faster, but anyone can start to interact differently and shift it to where people feel and and look and sound differently in their communications. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, the individual personalities on a team make up the overall personality of a team. And so 
um, while the manager probably, like you said, can move things along at a faster pace, um, sort of keeping that um, that open, uh, safe feeling within the team, I think will will help sort of promote that within, you know, team members. And this wasn't part of that same lesson, but we also have the idea of the kind of the drama triangle and people moving from being a rescuer. So, you know, if someone's got an idea, if you're the one that's always kind of trying to say, oh, yeah, that's a great idea in a overly motherly kind of way, then you're, you know, rescuing them and, and helping them do that. If you're the persecutor, you're always that person that's saying, you know, oh, that idea is, stinks, it's it sucks. If you're the victim, you're, you know, nobody ever listens to my ideas. So we can kind of hear those voices and maybe we are one or, one or all three of those at some point in a, in a conversation in our role in our work and moving that to the coach, which is what you were talking about earlier, Carly, where the coach is kind of that somewhat detached um, guide. Yes, you can do it. Let's develop that, that idea. Let's see how it goes. And in some ways, you're kind of emotionally detached from whether it works or not. You're just helping that person develop that idea. And leaders can do that, but team members can do it as well, just to be that guide, that person that's helping the person think through their idea um, the challengers, so maybe you're bringing up some things to think about, but you're not doing it in that way of you know, this is idea is bad, but hey, let's let's think about some other things. And then the creator, as the those roles all kind of seem a little bit similar to me, but I don't know if you thought that that idea kind of fit in here with psychological safety. That if we can move out of being a victim persecutor being to be more of a coach, then we can have a, a different approach. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't thought it through, but it's, it's so true. And I, um, as we've been going through the, the coaching classes and learning the coaching principles, I, I see the beauty of the coaching role, even if it's not in a formal title role. Um, you know, it's, it's sometimes raising awareness, asking good questions, um, you know, sometimes direct feedback and helping team members sort of talk through an action plan, um, how to, how to deal with things. So I think the elements of being a coach, um, really sort of span beyond formally being, being a coach and can be used within, um, on a team or within an organization. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we kind of walk that fine line of, you're not being someone's coach and sometimes you will have to have an answer or, or more directly challenge things. But, um, I think it's Malcolm Gladwell's what got you here won't get you there. That idea that <laughs> get step back from being the expert or valuing ourselves as the expert but really ask questions and help people develop their own ideas they're going to be a lot more successful which in turn most of the time means that we're more successful right right that's that's the goal i think yeah so carly i don't know if there's a 
I, if people can connect with you on LinkedIn or if people are interested in learning more, connecting more, if there's other resources that you would recommend? Yeah, so um, there. if you go to the TED Talks, um, the TEDx Talks, there's um, a few speakers on there, um, Amy Edmondson, Francis Ray, um, a lot of really great resources there, and um, they talk about the elements of psychological safety, um, but also sort of how they look like, what they might look like in practice, and again, sort of the the benefits um, or drawbacks of not having it, um, and how to identify it um, on a team, um, what that might look like if psychological safety um, isn't present. You know, someone's more isolated, um, you know, nervous to bring up uh, new ideas, um, you know, fear of looking ignorant, um, or, you know, like you and I were talking about maybe remaining in sort of a negative space instead of um, more of an opportunity space. So um, that's where a lot of my information came from, um, in addition to obviously uh, our work from class. Uh, if anyone is interested in connecting with me, they are more than welcome to do so. Um, I'm Carly Ackley on LinkedIn, um, and uh, you know I'm. I'm happy to, to connect and, and talk to people about the topic or um, about their careers in general. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. And if you're listening to the show, you, you know the deal that we're going to say goodbye to Carly, but we'll be back in just a few minutes and I'll kind of unpack some of this for you and share a few more resources. So thank you again, Carly, and we'll be right back here on The Career Confidant. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. If you are interested in the business of rental equipment, be sure to check out Rental Equip Talk Radio with host Donald Charbonnet. We talk to some of the top names in the rental industry, as well as cover topics that include safety, training, fleet management, legal issues, and more. We'll also cover the history and future of the rental equipment industry. Rental Equip Talk Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. 
Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at astrategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Welcome back to The Career Confidant. And today we were talking with Carly Ackley. And if you're wanting to connect with her, um, her last name is A-C-K-L-E-Y. A-C-K-L-E-Y. And she's at John Hopkins in their business school. And we were talking about psychological safety. Now, if you haven't heard about this before this topic specifically in these words you've probably heard about it in other words um, but in this language she shared resource one of the TED talks is Francis Fry I don't know if I'm saying that but F-R-A-N-C-I-S F-R-E-I on how to build trust and then Amy Edmondson E-N or sorry E-D-M O-N-D-S-O-N, Amy Edmondson, and both of them talk about trust and psychological safety. And the idea behind this is that if we can't build trust, if we can't um, make people feel like they're safe in the workplace, we just aren't going to have good outcomes. Whether your measure is productivity, sales, engagement, retention, Pretty much all of them are going to falter eventually if we're lacking these in the workplace. I remember a long time ago I had a client that really struggled with trust and personally didn't trust her team. The problem with that as a manager is that it might save you from being sabotaged by your team. It's more likely to just erode the trust in the team to a place where no one trusts anyone and then nothing is getting really done. You're spending a lot of time chasing each other's tails because no one trusts each other. And that idea of trust in in the workplace within a team, it's gotta start with someone. And so if you're that if you're that leader who finds it hard to trust your team, you're worried that they're not doing their work on purpose or they are sabotaging each other or that they're going to sabotage you, the trust has to start somewhere because if it's not built, those negative outcomes are going to present themselves somehow even though you think you're preventing yourself from them happening by being distrustful by being watchful there's a balance there somewhere but if we don't take the opportunities to move it towards trust it's never going to move that way i'll never forget sitting in a meeting where a city councilman was talking to us um, about the state of the city and you know this group that i was in was the group's purpose was to somewhat question the city and their operations and we'd heard some things and heard some things through the grapevine from staff that they were 
wanting to question but didn't feel like they could question. And this city councilman said, well, you know, they need to kind of grow a pair and question it, right? It's if they're not going to question it, it's their problem, it's their fault. And I just couldn't help myself. I had to call him out on it and say, no, if your leadership is to the point where people don't feel like they can question that leadership, it's the leader's problem. It's the organization's problem. Why would we expect a employee to stick their neck out to potentially lose their job um, if that is the way that they feel about the atmosphere? hard thing about it is of course it's all perception it's all feelings it's all emotions and we can downplay that and want to say that it doesn't matter or that you know we don't bring our emotions to work but when it comes right down to it if someone feels psychologically unsafe whether or not that is warranted doesn't matter if they don't feel psychologically safe they're not innovating they're not questioning they're not really bringing them their best selves to work and the organization is the one that's suffering. So when we get that feeling of, you know, or organizations not moving forward, you can, you know, look to the employees and say, oh, they're not innovating enough. But you also got to look at the leadership and say, why aren't people feeling like they can innovate? And what could we do to help foster that feeling, whether or not we think it's warranted? That's kind of got to go away. The should they or not, they do. So what are we going to do differently? I've had so many people that have gone to interviews and they came back and they said, you know, Mario, they said they wanted to do something differently or they asked me what I thought they should do differently. And it was clear right away as soon as they started to answer that the boss didn't really want to hear those things. And this happens all the time, whether you're working someplace, probably more frequently when you're already working someplace, but also happens in job interviews where someone says they want to do something differently or they ask you for that 30, 60, 90 day plan or they ask for ideas to do things differently. And then immediately those people that offer those new ideas feel shut down, disrespected, maybe even ridiculed and that is not a good feeling within our organization. So when we get that going on, we have to look at where is it starting. And, you know, I'll raise my hand and say that this does happen to me, especially when I'm stressed out and overwhelmed. And I get on a board meeting and we're talking about what to do differently and how we're going to innovate and and what's new this year, what's next, um, next year, whatever it is. And people start to throw out those ideas. Sometimes when I'm (laughs) ready for it, I can manage my internal stuff and sometimes I don't and I I quit back with why we can't do it or what the limitations might be and that's not helpful right that doesn't help anyone um, even though those there might be those limitations it's how we communicate it when we communicate it and really thinking about if we need to communicate it can we do it through questionings can can we stay in that place of exploration a little bit longer because when we do that and we ask those great questions we might get an answer a solution that we weren't even aware of versus shutting it down from the beginning which then leads to all of these feelings of of lack of psychological safety and that 
ideas behind that are are really challenging us to think about how we interact with people and how they how that interaction makes them feel which like I said just isn't a place that most leaders are used to staying there this brings in the idea of emotional intelligence one because we've got to be able to know and manage ourselves so you know the more that I know how I react in situations then I can prepare and manage myself so if we're going into a board meeting and I feel overwhelmed how can I manage that beforehand so that I'm less likely to react in a way that diminishes the psychological safety among my team that's emotional intelligence emotional intelligence doesn't mean that i never have those thoughts it's that i know it and i can manage it and then of course that i can know and and manage the interaction with others to be able to improve those relationships so when i make a mistake or when i do um critique in a way that's not helpful how do I manage that relationship, circle back around, make sure I can build, rebuild the, the psychological safety um, among the, the team. And this is something that you can do whether you're a manager or not. And it's a great leadership skill to practice no matter what level of the organization that you're at. If you are in a, in a supervisory or leadership role, this is all the pieces kind of coming together in terms of empathy and bringing in that coach approach, which Carly and I were talking about, how do you bring that idea of coaching into your session? And it's really not a new idea, right? It goes all the way back to the Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people book where it's ask questions instead of making statements, ask questions instead of critiquing. How can you, help people come to their own conclusions and and like I said maybe have some solutions that you weren't even expecting because you're going through the communication sequence differently and a great place to practice this is is at home yeah so you practice it at the workplace you probably have more instances at home especially if you have a significant other or parents that you interact with at a with a regular basis definitely kids give us many opportunities to practice our our ability to make someone feel psychologically safe when you look at the work of Brene Brown and a lot of the other parenting stuff that's out there there's this fine balance between setting boundaries, holding boundaries, and making sure that someone feels like they're psychologically safe and worthy and can be an independent being. And at work, that same thing is going to be true. And managers will often say that they don't want to be empathetic or they don't want to communicate in this way because they're worried they'll be taken advantage of or that people won't be held to accountable. And those are separate ideas. You can have empathy and still hold someone accountable because especially if you're setting out the boundaries ahead of time and the expectations, then you hold people accountable to those. But that doesn't mean you have to do it without empathy. And 
I was working with a client who had a team and a team member that wasn't really doing their amount of the work. And it was this fuzziness about were they doing the job or not that was the problem. It wasn't whether or not we were empathetic with the person. When something came up, could you be empathetic with them? Yes. The problem was this lack of clarity around expectations. So were they doing what they needed to do to have the job done, yes or no, was a question that was hard to answer. Well, they do just the bare minimum. Well, if they're doing what's required to get the job done, then the answer is yes. If they're not doing it, then the answer is no. It sounds like the expectations are unclear, which then makes it extremely difficult to hold someone accountable. And the lack of empathy is going to motivate that person even less, going to deter their motivation even more. And now you have multiple things getting in the way of a good relationship as well as good accountability. So the two go hand in hand in some ways that if you have empathy and you've set good boundaries and expectations then you can hold someone accountable when you don't have clear expectations and and boundaries a lack of empathy does not help someone achieve their goals because it's the goal setting that is part of the problem so as you look forward to 2020 and maybe you want to grow your career whether an individual contributor or manager the idea of psychological safety is one that can help you be more effective in the workplace and have better relationships in the workplace so i hope you'll go and check out some of the tedx talks that carly mentioned um, especially the one by amy admonson and how you can very practically and tangibly start to work on your communication at work so that people feel like they can express their differences with you, share their new ideas, and help take you and your organization to new heights. We'll be back again next week here on The Career Confidant. Excited always to have new information and new guests for you. If you have ideas um, for the show or questions, you can always reach out to me at Marie, M-A-R-I-E, at careerthoughtleaders.com. And we look forward to seeing you right back here again next week on The Career Confidant. Thank you for listening to The Career Confidant. Marie Zimanoff will return again with another terrific guest next Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to join us then.